0: U.S. farmland has been capturing headlines again recently, as earlier this month, the Federal Reserve reported that farmland prices across the farm belt dropped in Q2 2016. This is Sarah Delevesque, Editor-in-Chief of GAI News, and today I am pleased to be here with Paul Pittman, Chairman and CEO of Farmland Partners, who will be sharing his thoughts on the current status of U.S. farmland prices. Paul, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Paul, we've heard a lot about decreasing farmland prices over the past six months. What's driving this trend in the U.S.?
1: Yeah, so I think, I mean, I think the most important thing to recognize is that there's a lot more headlines about farmland value decline than the actual truth. So the the most important annual survey on farmland values is is what's called the USDA Land Values Survey. It's done once a year. And it really sort of is the Bible on nationwide farmland values. And what that, that just came out uh, about a week and a half ago. And what that report says is that farmland values on a nationwide basis have dropped, and get this, 0.3%. Yeah. Okay? So all of this sky is falling headlines are really a mischaracterization of what's going on. So now let's take this regionally just for a second. I'm going to pick a couple of states and give you an example. So let's take Illinois. Illinois is the heart of the corn belt, about as corn beltish as it can get. A 2.6% drop. Okay? But let's go to another region of the country where we own quite a bit of farmland. Georgia, for example. A 7.9% increase. Um, North Carolina, to give you another example, uh, flat year over year. Um, So if you went to, say, specialty crops in a place like California, you got about a 2 to 2.5% increase. So the truth is that the asset values for farmland are holding up incredibly well despite the headlines and the sort of difficult operating environment that farmers face. And what everybody gets confused about is they they say, well, farmland ought to be falling, so it must be falling. The Fed says based on two data points, you know, land values are down or something. And so you get all these headlines, and then the USDA goes out and does a survey with literally tens of thousands of data points and comes back with an answer that says, well, yeah, and probably the worst year in the farm economy uh, for something approaching – Thirty years, yeah, we're down point three percent nationwide. It is really a, a testament to the strength of the underlying asset and why it's such a good inv- asset to invest in. The other problem you have with the with the, the Fed data, for example, is they'll quote they'll they'll quote data based on a quarter, and the and the problem with that is that the farmland market is really an annual market, not a quarterly market. And the reason I say that is if you analyzed number of transactions out there from uh, each quarter and you started with the first quarter, there would be be approximately 10 to 20 percent of farmland transactions are in the winter. So in the first quarter, in the second quarter, it's planting season. There are nearly zero transactions. When you get to the third quarter at the very end of the third quarter you're into september there start to be a few more transactions again maybe five or ten percent of the annual transactions but the fourth quarter of the year meaning october through december is literally something like 60 or 70 percent of total annual transactions occur in the fourth quarter so anybody reading the tea leaves on any quarter other than the fourth quarter It just doesn't have a meaningful, you know, you don't have a statistically meaningful number of data points to make any kind of prediction, even though, I mean, I read the same things you just referenced from the Fed. The other thing to understand about the Fed survey is a Fed survey is like consumer confidence. It is an opinion survey of bankers. That's a relatively pessimistic group of people who have a tendency to, you know, two years ago, they kept, you know, three years ago, they kept saying the land prices are going up 8% a year. <laughs> yeah, they project that trend line into the future. Then they sort of get a feel a little bit of negative headwinds and they project the trend line back down. So you really gotta be careful with with you know confusing headlines with really hard data uh like like their USDA data I reference.
0: That's really interesting and a really good point about kind of the seasonality of um farmland transactions. So then, from what you're saying, am I to understand that you aren't uh, too worried about farmland prices right
1: now? No, we're not too worried about it. What we we feel will happen is, on on an anecdotal basis, there will start to be a modest amount of stress in the market. You're now in year two or maybe even year three of a challenging operating environment for farmers. That, That has to eventually lead to some distress. That distress is going to create buying opportunities for us, but we're not concerned at all about a wholesale decline in farmland values, and there's a bunch of reasons for that. I mean, to get a real big decline, you have to have forced selling, meaning you've got to have a situation where lots and lots of farmers are on the financial brink and forced to sell, and there are no buyers in the market to suck up that that new volume of, of available farms. And we're not seeing that at all. What's happening is people may not like the price they get, so they just don't sell it at all. And so you're just not seeing... Uh, you, you know, you've got to have forced selling to get big price declines. And it, it's just it's not happening. One of the reasons it's not happening is unless you're really forced to sell, to sell a farm, where are you going to put the money? You're going to go sell the farm, pay the capital gains tax, and go invest in it in your bank account for a you know, twenty basis point return. There's, there's, you know, so there's just not any motivation to sell these these incredibly long lived, fundamentally solid assets. And you're, you know, still getting even in bad times, worst case scenario, probably a three and a half, maybe a four percent return on the asset. So, so there's just not not a motivation to sell. So on, on, you know, so the next question is, is what's happened to you know, kind of farmland rents, given what's going on in the farm economy. Now interestingly, the farmland rents are actually a little more susceptible to the negative headwinds the farmers are facing than the underlying land values themselves. so what you're seeing is is a little bit of pushback on rental uh rates. It's still not extreme by any means. You might see a three to five percent decline in rents in some markets, but remember, it's a mark it's zero vacancy market for farmland so the farmers aren't giving up land. They they really are increasing their um, operating costs on all the rest of their acres if they give up acres because it's in returns to scale kind of question. And so you're really not seeing a lot of pressure on farmland rents, although I think you're actually seeing a little more rent pressure than you are land value pressure. Um, the other thing people always, always do and the mistake they make, they'll, they'll say, you know, gee, the farmer's farming, uh, you know, based, uh, he's losing money, he's gonna stop renting those acres. No, he's not. The farmer's in the commodity business. He knows he's in the commodity business. He holds on to rental land, even if he's losing a modest amount of money because of the optionality, when things turn back the other way to make a lot of money on that rented land. So if the guy was making Four or five six hundred dollars an acre on rented land two or three years ago, and now losing fifty dollars an acre, it's not economically rational for him to give up that land. He's going to say, "No, no, no, if I give it up, I'll never get it back and If I did a five year average, I'm still way ahead on that rented land, and I'm not going to give it up and so that's what's really going on, so you're getting a little rent pressure, but not very much
0: interesting, so it's those long term fundamentals that that come into play again with that as well. That's right. So what about prices? And, and as you said, there's not a huge fluctuation on average, um, according to the USDA, or a huge decline. But what about prices uh, for permanent cropland versus row crops? Is there any difference in what's happening to prices at the time?
1: Yeah, you're seeing, you're seeing uh, prices for permanent cropland come down a little bit. Uh, let's use almonds as the best example. And again, there, you know, it's so many different crops that, that it, it's hard to make generalizations. But I would say you're having a modest downward pressure on permanent crop prices. A lot of that's driven by a modest cooling off of the Asian economy. A huge amount of the almonds, for example, end up in the export market coming out of the United States. So you're getting a little bit of downward pressure on the tree nuts, which is a big piece of the permanent crop plantings out there but probably a little less uh downward pressure than you're seeing on row crops um and in fact uh you know as we just discussed it's not very significant in row crops and so you're flat to slightly down on some permanent crops would be my view the permanent crops do have a tendency to move somewhat more significantly than you know when t- when times are really tough for permanent crops they will move at a more uh, significant way than row crops um, and that's partly driven by the fact that a lot of that's in California. And so you're just talking really big dollar properties. And so the, the moves seem big, even if they may not be that big as a percentage. Uh, but the other issue is since you've got a permanent planting, if you, you know, uh, the, the permanent planting is not in finance terms a perpetuity like just raw bare farmland is. So if you have a downward move uh, in the value of these crops and it's only a, you know, 25 year life, Crop, you've just taken away one twenty-fifth of your earnings potential because you're having a tough a tough year in the in the general economy because those trees are going to have to be replanted eventually. Whereas in a in a uh, row crop environment where it's just the land, you know, it's it, you're taking one year away out of literally infinity because it's a perpetuity, mm-hmm. so it's not as big of an economic swing right. in value.
0: Now you and I have spoken in the past about water and its importance on, on farmland. And I'm wondering, I've just been curious about whether water and access to water on land um, insulates land from falling prices or from fluctuations at all, or what, what role might it play, if any?
1: Well, what you will find is that, uh, you know, good good access to water uh, clearly makes the land values more more stable. <clears throat> and there's really two reasons for that. Number one, you know, water is an independent asset. You know, it has an independent value separate from the land uh, because eventually there's other uses for the water than agriculture. You know, it could be urban use of some sort or industrial use or or whatever. So there's a stabilizing factor that goes when you have really good water rights on any piece of land, uh, particularly if there's surface water rights in a water short region of the U.S. Then then. Separately, uh, you know, from that, you have, um, you know, just a general sense that the highest quality farmland has the least fluctuations to the downside when times are difficult. And it's just a fundamental, you know, there's really, really valuable properties, those really special properties, the best land and the best locations with the best water. They just don't go down very much. And it's a scarcity value, value issue more than anything else.
0: So oh, switching a little bit more towards uh REITs like farmland partners and um investors, I'm wondering what what declining farmland prices if if they were for example declining significantly, or what media hype about farmland uh prices declining what that means for companies like yours well
1: what it what it basically you know means is that we're in a period of time is it this like any market you can't time it perfectly um we are certainly in a flat to slightly declining farmland value situation for me this 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 to me is a buying opportunity and it's it's just as much as anything a fundamental analysis of this of this of the supply and demand for the, pro, for the you know for the for the good and the good in this case is farmland you know you're in a ever increasing global food demand situation with a capped to even declining farmland availability, so we have an incredibly positive outlook, certainly in the medium and the long term for farmland. What I like to do is to say, well, wait a minute, let's let's think about the worst time in recent history in farmland values was in the 1980s. So the question is, if you, if, if the, and I don't believe we're actually living through anything close to the 1980s right now. Um, in terms of the stress that individual farmers will face, but pretend for a second we are. What you would realize if you went by, did and, and did sort of a backward analysis of the 1980s, you would find out that if you made an investment in 1981 or 82, which was the absolute top of the farmland market, that it took you five, six, seven years to recover from that investment. I mean, it took a, maybe, maybe even almost a decade to get back to whole. you still got your rents and you still got your current income but on an asset appreciation basis it took a long time to get back to to zero because you went down for a while but if you and now on the other hand if you invested at the bottom which was 1987 approximately um you looked like a hero just a year or two later you you know you were banging out seven eight ten percent asset value increases if not more you know year over year for five or six years right after the the crisis ended, so that so you've got those are kind of the two posts at each end now, let's say, well, what happens if you were investing in say eighty three or eighty four so you're the middle of the cycle of the down cycle? If you invested in eighty three or eighty four your returns on appreciation really aren't that much different than they were with somebody who invested in nineteen eighty seven They're a little lower. It took you you know, three or four years to get to the point where you were making lots of positive return, but you kind of found this, you, know, you were either at the bottom or near the bottom when you put your money in, you had a year or two of no appreciation, and then it took off again. So if you, if you take that analogy and you move it now to, the, to the, the life we're living today in 2016, there's one thing you can be sure of. You're not putting your money in at the top if you invest this year. The top's behind us. We know that. I don't know exactly where farmland is going, but I know it's down a little bit from the top. In in uh, you know, most people say the top was late thirteen or fourteen, early fourteen was the top of the farmland market. And you, you're clearly beyond the top. You're either at the bottom or near the bottom. So it's a, frankly a great time time to invest. And that's that's really our attitude, and why we continue to keep making investments we do, you know we feel good that we're not made, we're not doing an entry point that's going to turn out in hindsight to be bad it may not be the absolute best entry point but it'll be pretty good
0: yeah that's very interesting and a great analogy especially for uh people who might be reading the hype around uh low farmland prices right now so that that kind of i think you kind of addressed my next question which was Are there certain risk management strategies that you and investors might use with changing farmland prices and rents, or is it just the long-term nature of that investment that smooths things out in the end?
1: Well, I mean, you have to take the long-term nature of the investment, but this is also why we make investments in farms with appropriate current yield or appropriate cap rate uh, on those investments right from the beginning. And what that you know what that means from our perspective is that if you're getting a say four percent or five percent return on the farmland year in and year out, you can weather a modest decline in the underlying asset value because you're still making your current yield and you're gonna just hold on to the property until things recover and if if the you know historic uh situation with farmland you know plays itself out in the future and there's you know, this long-term trend of gradually increasing farmland prices has been going on for, you know, decades, if not, frankly, a century or more. That's going to, that, that will still be the long-term trend. I mean, if the if the last 50 years has been an average of 5 or 6% appreciation, I would guarantee you that when you get to the next, to the end of the next 50 years, it's going to be awfully close to the same trend line, if not actually higher. And the reason it would be higher is just continued population growth, continued urban development takes ever more and more farmland away from production, therefore enhancing the value of what's left. Um, the other risk mitigation factor, though, that I think important to understand, and it's why we, generally speaking, continue to make investments every year. It's just like dollar cost averaging on a stock. Look, you want to you want to avoid making any investments if you can at the absolute top. But it's very hard to pick the top, just as it is to pick the bottom. So the, the the thing any smart stock investor does is you're going to put invest you're going to put money to work every year, and, and you know over the medium or long term you're going to find out that a lot of those investments worked and a few of them didn't because you happen to enter at the high point, um, no matter how hard you try not to. And so we just we just keep deploying capital, recognizing that if you know prices go down, we'll actually deploy more capital and get more acreage and own more land, and but the long-term trend, and we're confident of this, is the prices will gradually go up, and the reason we're so confident of that is that's the way it's worked for a long, long time, and there's nothing in the fundamentals of production agriculture and food demand that should change that.
0: Right. so do you have any predictions as to where farmland prices will go as we move closer and through 2017?
1: Yeah, so, my, so I had predicted, for example, you know, I've been predicting in our some of our written materials we, we had posted on our website that farmland would be down on a nationwide basis approximately three percent um, when this USDA farm values survey came out. Um, in fact, when it came out, it's only down 0.3 percent. And you know, you can you know you can spend a lot of time saying, well, the data must be wrong. Well, you know, I don't I don't actually believe that. I mean, it's you know the, the USDA has collected way more data than my conjecture of a three percent decline. So the truth is that you know the 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 score is is now known. It was down you know three tenths of a percent from summer of 15 uh, to summer of 16. So if you rolled forward to the summer of 17, I would still say I would predict you know we're going to have a large corn crop, a large soybean crop. Uh, You know, world economic conditions aren't by any means perfect. The value of the dollar is somewhat high. My sense is we'll continue to have a somewhat difficult operating environment for farmers. So you don't have aggressive buying of farmland from the farmers and they really drive the market. They're the major buyers. So my sense is you're going to see another year where you're flat. To slightly down again on a nationwide basis, and you know that means some markets are up and some are down a little bit. But I don't think you'll see any market where you've got declines higher than mid single digits, and you're going to see a bunch of markets where you got mid single digit increases. So, if you specific number, I'd say you're looking at a, probably a three percent decline uh, nationwide basis during 2017.
0: Well, this was really interesting, Paul, and I appreciate uh, you sharing a opinion and outlook that is uh, different, a story that's different than what we've been seeing in the media. Thank you.
1: Happy to do it.